if you're on Facebook or some other social media platform, you may have seen the meme about today's first lesson. The prophet Elijah is fed up and tired, and he wants to die. And God says to him, take a little nap. Have a little snack. You'll feel better. You'll get through. And that seems to me to be just about right for us this morning, these days. Maybe it's something we need to hear right now, what with the Delta variant, the drought, the danger of wildfires, the memory of wildfires, and all of ordinary, everyday life. None of these things can we ignore, nor can we make them go away altogether. So take a little nap, have a little snack. You'll feel better. Here's the context of this particular bit of Elijah's story. It's a long story, and this is one of many notable moments. Ahab is the king of Israel, and Jezebel is queen, and they both want Elijah killed because he is a constant, vocal, and prominent critic of their turning away from the God of Israel and to the God Baal, the God of the Canaanites. And with them, since as monarchs they represent the people, with them the people of Israel have turned away from their God as well. And God is not pleased with this. There's a drought that's already lasted three years, and Elijah has made it clear that the drought is God's calling to Ahab and Jezebel to repent and return to the God of Israel. And so Elijah has had to flee again and again out of Israel, elsewhere in Israel, pretty much all over the place. And along the way, he has been taunted. He has been threatened. He's always under a death threat. And yet, he does certain miraculous signs, actions that demonstrate God's faithfulness to those who are themselves faithful to God. These are sure signs that returning to the one true God is the thing to do. But Ahab and Jezebel are steadfast in their turning away from God and steadfast in their persecution of Elijah. And ultimately, things do not end well for them. But in the meantime, they don't go well for the people of Israel or for Elijah the prophet. So our first lesson is set in the midst of this long story of struggle and suffering and God's miraculous care of Elijah and those associated with him throughout all of it. But the struggles and the sufferings just don't end. They're exhausting. And Elijah, quite understandably, is not only worn into the ground, but also in real distress. He retreats from the fray up into a cave on the mountain, alone. He's done this before, but this time it's even more too much than it has been before, so he cries out to God to just let him die. And God says, take a little nap, 
have a little snack. You'll feel better. And so indeed, Elijah has the strength to go on and to get through to the other side. That little snack manages to last him 40 days. But let's note for a moment here what God does not do. God does not wipe out Ahab and Jezebel, Jezebel at one fell swoop. God does not make all Elijah's struggles and afflictions just go away. And God does not miraculously transport Elijah to some seaside luxury resort for a much-needed break. But God also does not grant Elijah's wish to die. And God does not scold Elijah for being exhausted and grumpy and maybe just a bit melodramatic. God does not tell Elijah to just get a grip and just get on with it. It turns out that this is not who God is. Who God is is the one who in compassion, in mercy, says take a little nap, have a little snack, and then you will have the strength to go on. In fact, it's not much later in the first book of the Kings that Elijah asks to see God. And what comes to him after the thunder, after the earthquakes, after God passing by, is a still, small voice. God comes in that still, small voice. Now, the gospel reading for the day tells us much the same thing. Only this time it's not Elijah the prophet who's in distress. It's the ordinary people. It's God's people who have come out to hear Jesus. Most of the folks who came out to hear Jesus had a daily struggle for enough food, enough bread, to get them through one day with none left for the morrow. Day after day, they have to find their daily bread. And they don't have any hope that tomorrow or the next day or the next or the rest of their lives will be any different. They don't have manna from heaven, even. The miraculous bread God provided the people of Israel every day of their 40-year journey through the wilderness. God provided manna in the morning, but it was gone by the end of the day. But there... Again, the next day, quite predictably, quite reliably, there would be manna. But the people around Jesus, many of them, don't even have that. They don't know that they can make it through, and maybe they don't even know what it might mean to make it through. Where is their daily bread? Where is the bread that will keep them alive from one day to the next? Where is the bread that always will be there? Jesus says, I am that bread. I am the bread that God sends you so you don't have to struggle every single day just to get through, just to keep alive the hope that you and your children and your community will be here tomorrow, let alone after that. I am the bread, says Jesus. God has sent me to you so that you need not struggle and suffer as you do. I am doing God's work of feeding you. 
of setting you free from constant dread, constant struggle, and the temptation to just give up. Take a little nap, add a little snack. You'll be able to get through. Now, in the similar stories in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus also gives them actual bread and fish. Lots of it, in abundance, super abundance. There are a lot of leftovers. And it's real bread. That bread is the presence of God. And that's really John's point, who doesn't have these miraculous, literal feedings. In Jesus, through Jesus, God is really present in the midst of the people's ordinary, daily struggles and challenges. God doesn't wave a magic wand and make it all go away, but God is there in the middle of it. God is there with them, with us. God shows up. God stays with us regardless. And that shows us that all our struggles and challenges and dread about the future are not the end of the story. Our current situation is not what it's all about. Life with God is what God offers. And that makes it clear that where we are now is not the only place we'll ever be. Now, we're all abundantly aware of the difficulties of the times we're living through right now. They're persistent, and they keep requiring us to adapt, and then to adapt, and then to adapt. And at times, it's easy to lose sight of the larger, more capacious, more joyful aspects of life. It's easy to overlook the fact that in the midst of it all, it is God's good pleasure to give us the bread we need. Today, now, here, in and through Jesus, God not only promises, but truly gives us that bread. That bread comes to us in the Eucharist, that tiny bit of bread that we share with each other that is not just bread for the journey, though it certainly is that, but is also a foretaste of that heavenly feast that is to come when there is plenty to eat and plenty to drink and good companions and all the jokes are funny. It is God's good pleasure to give us the bread we need in other ways too. Maybe that bread takes the form of watching two highly competitive athletes help each other when they trip and fall during a race. Maybe the bread takes the form of a friend or neighbor sharing a bunch of flowers or asking us how we're doing and really wanting to know. Maybe the bread takes the form of getting up before dawn to make and serve breakfast for those who might otherwise have none. Maybe the bread takes the form of groups of people coming together to make the kinds of changes that mean that fewer people have to worry about their daily bread, their access to water, their overall well-being. In all these situations and more, God is present. God comes to us, God shows up with compassion and mercy and companionship. God comes with what we need, with what gives us lasting hope and assurance. So take a little nap, have a little snack, 
receive the bread of life, and together with God, we will get through.